Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. Our scripture, our scripture this morning comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 13. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 13, and I invite you to turn there as I read that. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious in anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for, revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in, every, in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know that he brought low, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Good morning. I appreciate the coolness of the morning. Anybody else? Just, uh, I don't know if it's now or not, but if anybody needs to go to junior church, go ahead and be excused for that. I saw some slip out, but I don't know if it was announced or not, so feel free to do that. We are on the tail end of Philippians. And uh, so, I'm glad. I think Paul's glad, <laughs> that's for sure. Good. It's been an interesting journey. It's been a good journey. Um, I've learned a lot. And I hope that, Paul, I've shared, you have also learned a lot. So it's Philippians chapter 4 today, but just go back and review just a little bit. Uh, uh, chapter 1... We talked about the heart that follows hard after God. And the illustration is from Paul that he has a heart that cares for the family of God, cares for believers. It also shows he has a heart for the gospel. And he has a heart for Christ. And in chapter 2, Paul had chapter 2. He tried to get out of it, but I didn't let him do that. 
the heart of humility. And of course, we have Christ as the perfect example of humility. And then we last week went to chapter 3, and really it describes a heart fully given to Christ. It listed Paul's pedigree. He was a Jew of the Jewish. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He had everything going for him. And he gave it up for the worthiness of following Christ. And then it goes on to Paul's goal, his purpose, which is, I press on. I press on. And then Paul's promise aspect of the heavenly call. Today, it, I don't have a, a heart theme. <laughs> We've already covered that. So today, really, this whole chapter, may even start a little bit in chapter 3, I call it Paul's closing encouragement and exhortation, which is often what he does in his, in his uh, writings. He'll uh, go along and he will actually... Um, Go to the okay. This is, he goes to the doctrine, the teaching. Then it gets to, you know, uh, this is how we apply it. Um, <clears throat> Usually, when I read a chapter or even a book, I take note of something. I, I as I'm reading through, if you look at my Bible, it's kind of marked up, but I look for words that are repeated more than once. Sometimes I read once, twice, and three, four, five times. And if I see that, I, okay, the writer is trying to sink something into my brain. Because repetition is supposed to help, right? It takes a lot of repetition for me. But really, so that, and so as I've read through Philippians, and perhaps you have too, what would you say is one of the themes it's mentioned in all four chapters? What's that? I can't hear that. Anybody else hear that? Rejoice. Rejoice. Now, where's Paul? He's in prison. He's chained to a Roman soldier and a guard. He has suffered shipwreck. He has suffered being, being whipped 39 times, several times. He has, he has suffered so much. But what did he say? Rejoice, rejoice. And that, so that has been really the, the general theme, I think, of, um, of Philippians. Um, you know, as mentioned, chapter 1, verse 18, 119, 217, 218, 228, word of joy in 222, chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 4, uh, verse 4, and verse 10. Paul says to rejoice. So that's an overall theme. And I think it's important to remember that. Also, you look at verse 1. It says, Paul, or therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for. We look clear back in chapter 1. Those very similar words. The ones I long for. The ones I love. So at the beginning, he starts with loving the brothers. In the ending, he's I loving the brothers and sisters in Christ. You're my joy and my crown. And he says, stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. We're going to come back to that phrase, stand firm, at the very end. Because I think it's going to help us tie everything together. 
So, it's interesting. The first thing that Paul addresses in chapter 4, as far as addressing something, is an issue of conflict. Anybody like conflict? I don't. We live in a fallen world. Sin is rampant. The world is in turmoil, and yes, conflict creeps into the church. Two weeks ago, Paul Eichel, not the Apostle Paul, Paul Eichel, not the Apostle Paul, again, I'm emphasizing that, um, emphasizes unity in, verse, in chapter 2. And Paul listened to a number of passages in, in Paul's writings, back to Romans and Ephesians, a number of passages why unity is important, especially in the church. Oneness, getting along together. There was even enmity, or not enmity, there was conflict between Paul and Barnabas. Remember that? Between, I think it was the first and second missionary journey. They'd taken off, and John Mark was with them, and they were going along. And John Mark said, this is too much. I'm going home. And he left. Paul and Barnabas completed their missionary journey, and the next time they're going to go out, Paul says, okay, we're going to go, Barnabas. Well, let's take John Mark. Paul says, no way. Nope. He, he uh, chickened out, left the first time. I'm not going to take him again. That called conflict between Paul and Barnabas to the point where Barnabas went one way and, and Paul went the other way. Now, it's interesting to note, later on, I didn't take time to look at that, but Paul says, send, send John Mark. He is of value to me. So, obviously, John Mark had matured and grown in his faith. Well, here in this passage, Paul specifically points out some conflict between two sisters, uh, sisters in Christ. Verse 2, I entreat Erodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Hmm. I wonder what the issue was. Was it the carpet? Was it the lights? Was it the paint in the walls? You know, we sometimes have conflict over the stupidest things. So what, we really don't know what the issue was, but I think, I think their names give us a little bit of a clue. Uh, Eurodia, uh, it's customary, I don't know if you several months ago, I did a study on, probably years ago now, on the names of God and other names. And names applied to people oftentimes show something about their character, something about their personality. In fact, oftentimes in, in, during this time, Paul's time, a believer, someone would come to Christ and their name, I, there was one I read that his name was, his name meant I worship Zeus, which is the Greek god. And so when he came to Christ, they changed his name. And that happened quite frequently. So as we look at the names, Erodia means one who arrived or has arrived. The male form of that word, Erodias, is often rendered a prosperous journey. Um, 
Philippi, as we talked to, um, you know, clear back in chapter 1, was a, a Roman colony on a trade route up in Asia Minor, a prosperous uh, community, and the first convert that Paul brought to, or came to Christ at, at Philippi was Lydia, a, a business person who uh, had dwelt in, in, in purple, cloth, wealthy, most do. And so uh, really, it's, um, the women held a prominent role in the culture of Philippi. So Erodia, obviously, we can gain from that name. She's one that's quite prosperous. She's successful. She's a good business lady. Syntyche uh, means pleasant acquaintance. A happy chance. Good luck. She was pleasant. She was a good mixer. That's the kind of people we need in church. People that go out and, and greet people and make people feel welcome. We need those people in our church. We need both kinds of people in our church. But I think that kind of shows us perhaps a little bit of maybe the, the conflict. Uh, Rodeo is probably type A. Get things done. Bottom line, you know. While Syntyche is probably more kind of easygoing, uh, you know, go with the flow, greeting people. I think that might, maybe it was a personality conflict, maybe it was something much more serious. I don't know, but obviously, for one thing, we know that there was conflict. Otherwise, I don't think Paul would have approached it, approached it, or talked about it. It's also interesting to note that uh, when dealing with these two saints who are out of fellowship with each other because of some difference, whatever it is, and therefore, out of fellowship with the Lord, because of sin in their lives, Paul pleads with them tenderly. You look at that. I entreat, Herodia. I entreat, Syntyche. That word, entreat, is, is a, a term of endearment, of tenderness. He just didn't come and say, hey, you're wrong. Get together. Suck it up. Get things straightened out. He is entreating them carefully. And brothers and sisters, conflict does arise. We're still in a fallen world. But I think we get some pictures here of how we are to handle conflict within our body. Now, looking at what Paul says about these two ladies in verses 3 and 4, we learn that he considers them co-workers. They labored with him, side by side with him, in the gospel, along with Clement. So he's not putting them down, in the sense. He recognized their value of laboring and, and, and ministering along with him. He calls them the fellow workers in the gospel. Sometimes... Sometimes those of us who maybe are more active, more we consider spiritual or consider maybe has, you know, we have difficulties too. Sometimes I think the evil one likes to slide in so subtly and disturb even a heart that seemingly is centered on Christ and devoted to Christ. These two's names are written in the book of life. 
Paul says that at the tail end of verse 3. But I think our responsibility, and I think that's important to note, because Paul says the rest... uh, I ask you, my true companion, to help these two women. How often have you been or seen or observed, of course not involved in, but observed conflict in the church, and we say to ourselves, well, they'll work it out. It's none of my business. I'll keep to myself. Let the elders handle it. Let the pastor handle it. And I think there's a proper place for that. But I also think it's important to realize that we have responsibility for each other. We are a community of believers. I think that's important to realize that. We need each other. And in times of conflict, we need each other. Some of the things that I think we can do probably the most obvious and simple one as well. I'll pray for them, and I think that's vitally important. Paul mentioned prayer a number of times. Back in chapter 1, another time. Prayer is important. But I also think it's an aspect of encouraging the ones that may be having difficulty in some conflict. That word encouragement has the aspect of coming alongside. Now the caution I have is that oftentimes we hear of conflict within two individuals, well, I think this person's right, and we take sides. I don't think Paul wants us to do that. There's usually two sides to every story. There really is. And so when I say encourage them, and that's what Paul said, encourage them, help them, pray, encourage Love them back to fellowship with each other, with the Lord and the church. It's obvious here that uh, in, in the words, entreat Rhodia and entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. I, I think the, there's a, well, in the word help these women, they're trying to work it out. Their heart is not hardened to the place where I don't care, I'm not going to forgive, whatever it is. I think there's a key issue there. When there is an aspect of conflict, and if I'm involved, it's important that I say, God, give me a tender heart. Let me see who I am. I've got blind spots. <laughs> Anybody else have blind spots? <laughs> I don't see too many hands. I feel a few honest people here. <laughs> I've got blind spots. And sometimes it takes a loving brother or sister to point those blind spots out to me. Notice a loving brother and sister. It's very, very important. So, I think we do have a responsibility. Verse 4, we've talked about rejoice in the Lord. Where? In the midst of conflict? And let me ask you this. If you are in the midst of conflict, can you really rejoice in the Lord? Conflict has the well, as we mentioned before, I read a quote from 
from uh, Wiest. It says, you know, they're out of fellowship with each other, they're out of fellowship with the Lord. That's sin. It needs to be dealt with. Let your reasonableness, verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Um, the KJV says, let your moderation. The NIV says, let your gentleness. It has the idea of, of not being unduly rigorous, strict, being satisfied with less than one's due. So even after talking, addressing Erodian syntax, and then rejoice, let your reasonableness, I think that refers back forward, let your reasonableness, let your, don't be unduly rigorous or strict with even Erodian syntax. It's easy to kind of chop, chop, chop. I, I, it's kind of my personality. Ask my kids. <laughs> you know, I like, this is the way it is, you know, that but I think there's a, there's a reasonableness there to, to don't, don't be unduly strict or rigorous. So I think that, that term looks back a little bit. Also, it looks forward as he introduces our, uh, our next aspect. So I think Paul gives us some definite direction here on how to handle conflict. Then he goes on and says... Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So, don't worry. <laughs> Nobody worries here, right? I, I've been in communication with, with Cheryl and Paul concerning Anna's Tajikistan. If I should say that or not. It's a place I've never heard of before she started talking about it. That's where she's going. And I'm thinking, that's a long ways away. It's a long ways away in a place where I don't know if I'd be comfortable going. And I've been talking with them, even this morning a little bit in the past, you know, it's an aspect that's easy to worry. It's easy to be concerned. I think of the Hoys. They've got a couple of kids you know, one, of additions. And others, uh, yeah, well, the Eichels have another family that, you know, there's others there. And I think there's other things that we worry about. I mean, jobs, finances, family, relationships. <laughs> um When Paul says this, do not be anxious, it's really emphatic. He says, stop worrying. That, that's the emphasis, that's, that's the tone that he's saying that. Stop being anxious. The remedy for worry he gives us in the following fair phrases. But in everything by prayer. And that prayer is, 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 has the, in this particular setting, has the context of address to God as an act of worship. I think that's important to note. 
by prayer, by supplication. And that's talked about one's personal needs. You know, um, worry usually entails some person or some, something personal or care or of someone else that we love. It may be family, it may be health, it may be work, it may be relationships, it may be the world situation. I mean, there's plenty to worry about. There's plenty to be concerned about, isn't there? Everywhere we look, news, papers, walk down the street, talk to your neighbors, there's plenty to worry about. Paul says, don't worry. Whenever I've thought of that, that aspect of worry, I always think about that. When I, and it does creep up with me, too. I, I'm concerned about times. Psalm 37 says, don't fret, don't worry. That's what Paul says. And he goes on, and he says, don't worry, because you, it says, trust the Lord, delight yourself in the Lord, commit your way to the Lord, and be still before the Lord. That's another, if you want to look at recipe, for handling worry. Trust in the Lord, delight yourself in the Lord, commit your way to the Lord, and be still before the Lord. Here, Paul says, pray. Bring your knees before God. But in the whole process, don't forget to be thankful. Don't forget to be thankful. Oftentimes, worry is centered on something usually, oftentimes, that we have no control over. And we need to have the aspect of realizing, okay, if God's in control, can I trust him? If I can trust him, then I don't really have to worry. Therefore, we can be thankful. What is it? Romans 8, 28. For all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, that doesn't mean other things are good, but they can work to good because God is developing something in yours and my life. The next verse says, For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Oftentimes we leave the verse 29 out, quote 28 and leave 29 out. God is in the process of developing the character of Christ in my life and your life. And sometimes, you, well, I'm rock hard heavy, you know, take the two by four to wake me up to something. And so experience situations in life God brings to wake me up and give the contrary, okay, God is working things into my life that will bring out the character of Christ. God's presence is always with us as Christians, surrounding the atmosphere of us, of us Christians. Anxious care or worrying is out of place in the Heavenly Father's presence. God's presence brings peace. His peace guards our hearts and minds to keep out worry. And that's what we see in verse 7. And the peace of God. Have you noticed that when you are worried about something or someone, that that thing or that purpose has just seemed to always been on the edge of your mind. You know, you're always, that's just, it's right there, almost in front of you all the time. You're concerned, you're worried, you're, you're fretting, and it's just right there. 
It's really sometimes hard to concentrate on the task of hand because of worry that's just blocking us. That's what worry does. It sidetracks us from the glory of Christ. It sidetracks us from resting in Him. It sidetracks us from trusting and depending and looking to Him. And it's interesting that he note there, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Sometimes we go to the most difficult situations. I've observed, let me say it this way. I've observed in some lives that people go through the most difficult situations as believers, and they seem to be, well, in my observation, they seem like they're just floating through it. They're trusting, they're recognizing that God is the God of the universe. He is the sovereign Lord. Nothing touches me but what goes through His hands. And therefore, whatever touches me, I can rest in Him. And there's some people, I'll probably do it easier than others. But I, 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 That's the peace of God that really is, surpasses all understanding. It's, it's just, we don't understand it. It guards our hearts, and our minds in Christ. And I think it's important there that he notice our hearts, yes. First three chapters, he talked about the heart, the heart, the heart. But here Paul mentions the mind, and, and then he moves from don't worry and rather pray, bring things before God, be thankful, how, and, uh, and God will give you, you know, he will guard your hearts and your minds. Then he says how to think. How do we bring that about? I don't know about you, but uh, well, let's read that, that verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence or if there is any thing worthy of praise, think about these things. Here's what to think. Um, do you ever have difficulty controlling what's going through your mind? Anybody have difficulty doing that sometimes? Boy, I do. It can it could, it could range from a lot of stuff. It could be, boy, I've got this on my agenda today. I've got this on my agenda this week. It could be what I saw on a billboard that attracts me and I'm lusting after. It could be uh, a song that maybe isn't the best song that just keeps on going and going and going and going. Do you ever face something like that or, or whatever, you know? Your mind just sometimes it's really, really difficult to control it. And when that has happened, years ago I memorized this verse. So God, I need you to help me control my thinking. I need you to help me control my thinking so that I can think whatever is true, true in character, whatever is honorable, that which is reverent and inviting reverence into my life, whatever is just, that includes the idea of just and righteousness, whatever is pure, purity in all things, whatever is lovely, speaks of that which excites love and endearment. 
whatever is commendable or good report. That's fair speaking. It's winning. It's attractive. You know, it's really similar to um, what Paul says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, verse 13. Think about it. Um, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not exist on its own way or insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's really kind of a composite there of what Paul is saying here, of those words that God would help me direct my mind to the things of Christ. The next verse, I think, is really interesting. We, we, we read it last week. Verse 9, Paul says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Back in chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. When I read that, I think, oh, my, but Paul's perfect. Oh, no, he says, I'm not perfect. Back in three, uh, uh, where is it, eight and nine, right through there, or nine, ten, there it is. He's not perfect. Verse 12, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. Well, but he's, he's apostle. You know, we'd like to make excuses, and we'd like to, I have been thinking, I'm not, I don't know a good word that really says this, but we really, I think it's probably out of fear, but I don't want to say, follow me, because I, well, we should follow me as I follow Christ, and how much do I follow Christ? I'm a a grandparent, a parent, a grandparent, now a great-grandparent. And my heart's desire, and I fail in so many ways, my heart's desire is that my, my kids, my grandkids, and my great-cans can say, Grandpa imitated Jesus. I want to be like that. I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect. But if my heart follows hard after Christ, they're going to see that and they're going to see mine. And brothers and sisters, we need to all have that attitude. As Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. What did he say about Christ? Oh, that I might know him and the power, the dynamite of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Yes, even being conformed to his death. Um, I think it's John 13, 35, it says, and they know that they are your disciples by their love one to another. People should be able to look at you and me and watch you and me 
and they're going to say there's something different about them. We don't like to be different. But we should cherish the aspect of being different for Jesus. We should cherish that. Relish the aspect, hey, look at, look at me as I follow Christ. How many times have you been in communication with people? Maybe it's a neighbor across the fence. Maybe it's a, someone down the road. Maybe it's someone at work. And they'll make a statement, maybe about someone else to talk about you or someone else that lets you know, oh, they were watching me. Ever been to that? Yeah. My immediate thought, oh. <laughs> my immediate reaction is, oh, my. But hopefully, says, God, may it be you. May it be you. May my thoughts, my mind, my words, my actions reflect you. That's what Paul's looking at here. So how to think. I notice thinking that way brings the peace of God. That's amazing. The peace of God. Peace speaks of rest, of relaxation, of contentment, of just not carrying the weight and the burdens of, of worry. Paul moves on, and um, he goes on, and, and we read, uh, picking up in this whole next section, I think is rather interesting. It talks about... Uh, Paul being content, verses 11, 12, 13. Um, remember, remember what we talked about Paul's past last week and maybe the week before that and week, you know, whatever it was? I mean, Paul, if you remember, he uh, was born of a wealthy Jewish family in Tarsus, which is a, a Roman colony. Uh, he was educated at the Jerusalem Seminary in, by, under the feet of Gamaliel. He was also educated at the University of Tarsus in the Greek culture and literature and thinking. Uh, we read in, in chapter 3 his pedigree that he was a Jewish of Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was a law blameless. He was going up. He had everything going for him as the religious and the social world of his time would express. I mean, I wonder how many people envied him. Well, look at that guy. He's going somewhere. I wish I could be like him. Sometimes we fall in that trap even today, don't we? And then in chapter 3, verses 6, he says, verse um, 7, whatever gain, although that pedigree I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything but loss as a surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And that, that word knowing we talked about last week is the word experiential knowledge, gnosko. I know him because I've experienced him. It's just not a head knowledge. I've felt and seen and him work in my life. Therefore, Paul can say, 
that I am content. You look at that, he says, uh, I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound, I, in every, any and every circumstance I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. We often look at verse 13, I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me, but look at what comes before. He gave up his whole pedigree for the worthiness of knowing Christ. And consequently, he knows the extremes of social and financial success and then poverty. That aspect of contentment. Hmm. He says, I'm content. His contentment is in knowing who he is in Christ. He is not dependent upon his circumstances or the people that's around him or that he knows. His contentment is based in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, how many times have well, I just look back at my life and there's, you know, I, I, I struggled when I farmed from 76 to 86 and through various reasons, you know, I lost the farm, went broke, went bankrupt. And I struggled with the aspect of who am I? Uh, what could I have done different? Should I have done this? Should I have done that? Um... It's interesting that my, my estimation of myself was tied to financial success or unsuccess. And I really believe that during those times, and Gene and I called about 10 years a year, the dark ages of our life, I, I really believe that the thing that carried me through was just knowing that all this stuff and all this, even the reputation and everything, it's fleeting. Jesus is our identity. And just knowing that he has a plan, he is a sovereign God, he knows what, he can bring things out that will honor him and develop the character of Christ in him. In, in a real way, God has blessed us in the last 20 years. So we've, we know what it's like to, to be in the aspect of, of, okay, do I pay the light bill or do I get groceries for my kids? I mean, we've been there. We've been there. Now God has blessed us where we can give. And so like Paul, we can say, God... For the, this, and I can't say that I was the best Christian. <laughs> I struggled with all that framework during that time. But still it was that basic foundation of faith that carried me through. The basic foundation of theology that God is God and he is trustworthy and I can trust him. And now we look back and we know, probably because of my hard-headedness, he had to break me down and the other things. That, that, that we know that God is doing in our lives. So we can know 
and we can learn to be content. And that, notice that Paul says, I've learned to be content. I've learned it. It just didn't come naturally. It just didn't come naturally. And then verse kind of 9 tops it all off. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory Christ, by Christ Jesus. Um, and there we could tell a few more stories along that, how God supplied our need. Maybe not what we wanted, what we felt we needed, but we're still alive. And we have three wonderful kids and 14 wonderful grandkids, and etc. That's grace. Paul ends verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. And then he closes in verse 20 and 21, greet the saints in Christ Jesus and my brothers and so on and so forth. But in closing, I want to recap a little bit. After going through the book of Philippians, how does that affect my life? How does that affect your life? My heart, and I think Paul's heart, is that what we shared in this book, that it, I know he learned some things, and I know I learned some things, but we don't get up here just to see fancy words or whatever. The point, I think that God has us here for the purpose of, of sharing truth. So how does that affect us? Remember, I mentioned uh, from verse 1, uh, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. I want to just conclude with that aspect of standing firm, which has the concept of being solid, being planted. And so just looking back on Philippians, Stand firm in your circumstances. In fact, rejoice. Now, we may not be in the most pleasant circumstances, but we're in Christ, and we can rejoice in that. Stand firm in your love and care for each other. We are a community. Stand firm in the gospel. And I think it's more than just, yes, I know it, but sharing it. Stand firm in your commitment and love for Christ. We already talked about what do people see? They need to see Christ in our lives. Stand firm in living humbly before God, each other, and the world. When we stand firm in these teachings, that will reduce, maybe even eliminate the worry, or if it does come up, we'll handle it properly. That will reduce worry. When we stand firm, we begin to think correctly. And when we stand firm in what we know of, of Christ, it will aid in us being content in our life. Let's pray. Father, we simply, simply bow before you. And... Uh,
I know that you have taught me a lot in going through this, this book. And it's not that I hadn't read it before. I've read it many times. And yet, every time I read your word and look into your word, you teach me more and more and more of who you are. And you use the uh, Apostle Paul to reveal to us and to me things that I need to know. Father, may we be a body of believers that stand firm in our love for you and each other, that stand firm in the truth of the gospel, that stand firm in our commitment and expressing the love that we have for Christ, that our lives will explicitly show humility of Christ, so that in turn, people will see you. Thank you for the privilege of spending time in your word and sharing it in Jesus' name.